Hey everybody, Jonathan here, and just recording a quick blurb before this episode here on my iPhone, so pardon the quality, but we had a lost episode, so you'll hear us refer a couple times to uh, things that we spoke about in a previous episode. That one got overwritten due to some auto backup stuff that was going on on a work computer, Uh, so it's a lost episode to the ether, Uh, but just the same, we hope you enjoy this one. Enjoy it, and we will see you soon on the next episode, which I promise is actually coming soon. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 71, I think. 71? 70-something. 70-something of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I think that we need to do this more often. We're a bit rusty. I know. It's so bad. It's presented to you by Worldwide Cyclery. Nice people. The best of the best folks whenever you need bike parts. Uh, They're the place to go. Uh, You just go to the store on mtbpodcast.com, and then you can click on the banner within that store to go get your bike parts. We get a little share of that, which then helps us create more content. I know you're saying, well, you haven't made much content lately, so what the heck am I doing that for? That's okay. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine, too. But you still Um, should. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully we can get some more time to put in some more or make some more content. I so know. just how it goes. Uh, but just the same, they're awesome. They mm-hmm. put up a review recently on their YouTube channel, which everybody should subscribe to that. The trust the message fork review. Mm-hmm. And it's the most, uh, what's the best way to say this? Unique. <clears throat> I guess so. Well, I guess that, uh, it's the most contextual review yet. Yes. So a lot of the time you get guys that review it and they go over just the principles or they go over it just like kind of in a vague sense. And then you have to wait for nine months and they give you a full review. But at that point, you've already talked to your friends that have tried it. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah. In other words, pink bike, hurry up, catch up, uh, figure that out. People are communicating these days. They don't just have to wait for nine months. Um, so, but they, once again, in this case, they already have that information. A good in-depth review on it. Yeah. It's super good. So Liam's on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's one of their head mechs down there in California. He's super good. Logan Mullally. And of course we've mentioned Jeff rips as well. So all three of them share their thoughts. And I found one point, I mean, a bunch of interesting points, but one point that I found particularly interesting is they talked about which bikes it goes best on in terms of travel. Interesting. Because the, what they've said for most people is they're like, um, it doesn't matter what travel bike you have. This fork will work on any of them. 110 to 150. Yeah. And they do talk about a sweet spot. So you should check out that video and you can figure out what the sweet spot is. Yes. Um, the YouTubes. Yes. It's on their channel. Um, so I guess Steve, we have a lot of things to cover today, news and questions and two tips to close things out at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, but with that, let's get straight into the news. Yes. All right, first bit of news, uh, and this is an exciting one. We're actually streaming live, too, for those listening on the podcast. We're streaming live on Instagram right now as well. Oh, dang. So you can join us there. Go to mtbpodcast.com. That's up, people. Lots of waves. Good to see. Uh, first things we want to cover, Pink Bike Fantasy Leagues. Interesting. They finally have them up, yeah. and you can actually, so they have one for downhill, for enduro, and for cross country, which is pretty cool, uh, and you can join. I created an MTB podcast team for each one of those, so you can like join our sub-league, so to speak, and then you can build out your teams. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, How do yeah. we do that? Uh, I'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll walk you through it. Okay. Steve. I have no idea. <laughs> It'll be good. Uh, so you can join on there. Uh I do want to call out pink bike on this. You really need to step up your fantasy league stuff. This is really bad. Like the budgeting is not, uh, not well thought out. It doesn't allow you to build out an effective team. Um, 
yeah, you could take a bunch of pages from Pulp MX. They have a really good fantasy league and a few other ones in the moto world and all the football leagues, all the soccer leagues, everything else. It's a little behind, but it's first things first, I guess. So, But anyways, if you like playing fantasy sports at all, you can join there. Uh, so it should be good. Mm-hmm. Um, you can join on that. Next bit of news. This is where we congratulate Pinkbike. Yeah. Cycling Tips bought them. Yeah. What say you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Cycling Tips, for people that don't know, Cycling Tips is uh, the preeminent cycling, uh, I guess, media platform these days. Or not media platform, but outlet, I should say. Um uh, they have uh, so Wade Wallace from Australia. He's actually a, a he's a he's a friend of mine as well. Really good guy. He started it off, and it's become something huge. He's a great guy, and I'm kind of surprised in one respect that they bought Pinkbike, but it, or that Pinkbike bought them. But it also makes sense. Pinkbike is the biggest one by far in terms of views, in terms of interaction, in terms of everything in the cycling world. Mm-hmm. If you're like an outside PR agency, Pinkbike is bigger than any roadie outlet by miles. Yeah. So uh, Pinkbike, it makes sense if, you know, they're consolidating and bringing it under yeah, one roof. But Pinkbike also didn't have a road or gravel or mm-hmm. anything, you know, aspect to really anything they do. So now basically when, before when they would go to advertisers, they would say like, this is our market. Now they also have all the roadie market and exactly. they have all the content going out through there. And yep. they have, so it uh, allows them to be more profitable, hopefully more sustainability for the whole thing. But what that may mean is that we're going to get James Wang reviews over on Pinkbike. He's a, does is a great reviewer over on Cycling Tips. Yeah, we might be getting uh, Mike Le- Mike Levy reviews over on Cycling Tips, which could be interesting. Totally, absolutely. We could be seeing more cross pollination, or they could totally stay in their lanes. True. And, yeah, and that's yet to be determined. You really can't tell. Yeah. Even if they say they're going to do something, you never really know. Yeah, so it probably doesn't mean anything for most of us listening to this, but uh, it's interesting stuff, just the same. So uh, if anybody's joining us right now on Instagram Live, we're just recording while we record a podcast. A bit of inception, I guess. For I would you. say it's podcast inception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing, a uh, news item that I wanted to cover was uh, good friend, uh, I mean, lifelong friend of mine, good mm-hmm. friend of ours, yeah. Paul Basagoidia uh, from Reno. We haven't had him on the podcast uh, because he's been working on something very intently for the past, geez, three years now, a little more even. And that's been a documentary called the, uh, called Any One of Us. It just pre- premiered at South by Southwest. It will be premiering elsewhere, elsewhere, but Red Bull Media House uh, was the one that actually um, produced it uh, in conjunction with Paul. Paul was the executive producer, I believe, um, but he had say and direction and everything. And it's a story about his recovery, and that hasn't really been covered very much. Just people are shocked because every once in a while they'll see a video of Paul and he's riding. Yeah, it's like, what the heck? And they're like, what happened? Last I thought he was I checked, paralyzed. He was- Spinal cord injury. Yeah. Yeah. And he does have a spinal cord injury and he still experiences uh, absolute effects from paralysis every day and fights against them and tries to train uh, to overcome them. And uh, it's, uh, you know, his life is forever altered. Uh, but what he did with this video is he focused in on all of the different things that um, just spinal cord injury victims go through. Mm-hmm. And then, because I don't think that we fully understand it and no. how uh, how much it changes a person. And for athletes especially, it's so extremely tough because your f- ability to, to just be mobile is your absolute livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. And it's how you define yourself. And, yeah. And, and it's really emotionally complex too. So um, Paul, you know, this is a brave thing for him to peel back the curtain on his own struggles. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see this. Uh, it'll be a fantastic film, but anyways, you can check it out. There's an interview with him up on pink bike and you can see the trailer and everything else. Uh, it's a very, it's, it's an awesome piece. And I think it's something that'll help anybody who ever has the 
I guess, self-doubt or the uh, woe is me mentality, like Paul's story really does give you kind of a shift. It helps you understand, like, I don't really have it that bad. I don't really have that much of a struggle. And I think it's something everybody needs to watch. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. It'll put things in perspective. It's a very, yeah, exactly. And when was the last time mountain bikes were at South by Southwest like this? Uh, never. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, it deals with more than just mountain biking, but uh, just saying pretty cool. Uh, the other thing that we should cover is an update on the Richie Rude and Jerry Graves situation. Ooh, update us. Yeah, Jonathan. so there's really no update, <laughs> even though <laughs> oh, there was good. an update published. Uh, nothing's changed. Okay. Uh, but EWS is just saying, like, just a reminder, even though, because I know I've heard the whisperings uh, from many enduro riders about how frustrated they are because they feel like they're going to be racing against dirty dopers. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Uh, chances are they're still racing against dirty dopers, so get over it yeah. in one respect. Yeah. Or if you really want to fight against it, then truly fight against it in a productive way instead of just complaining, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. um, anyways, uh, EWS has just said that there is no official ruling. And until there's an official ruling, we aren't going to do anything because yeah, so we have to operate on top of evidence. Yeah. So innocent until proven guilty. So they get to continue racing. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't think Richie Root is going to be, and we'll cover this in a bit. Uh, I don't think he'll be at EWS Rotorua, mm-hmm. but I think that, uh, yeah, I think that they're testing over in Portugal and stuff and getting ready for some, some rounds. So, um, so yeah, that'll be interesting. And then Jared Graves, he's obviously in the same boat there, but, um, battling cancer. So, um, looks like he's ripping through right now his treatments. I believe that he's doing chemotherapy, not radiation and, uh, best of luck to Jared as he continues that fight. So yeah. it seems like it's going relatively well so far. So, yeah. uh, then also rhino power on top of that, we talked about how it seemed a bit, uh, bold to say that they, there was absolutely no chance that their supplements could be tainted. Yeah. Well, they did an interview and he brought up, uh, he basically outlined their processes so that that isn't a possibility. So, um, I stand corrected on that one. Um, but yeah, anyways, so that's where that is. There's a plenty, there are plenty of other rumors as far as how they took those and, uh, supplements in and everything else, but it's all here saying conjecture at this point. Mm-hmm. So, um, we just stand by. And also some people have asked me like, uh, since I'm a Yeti writer, they've asked me like for inside stuff. I don't get anything from that. So Richie and I are not on the same team. No, or the same level. (laughs) Not at all. In many ways. Um, So I happen to ride a Yeti. He rides for a Yeti. So uh, difference there. Wait, you ride for you ride for Yeti too? I couldn't tell with your hat and your shirt. Yeah, yeah. Doubled up today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, looking ahead, EWS Rotorua is happening on, and Steve is Steve's. Ah, he's wearing a Yeti shirt too. Look at him. Uh, Anyways, uh, people probably are shaking their head right now at that. (laughs) Um, EWS Rotorua. That's happening March twenty fourth. That's just a couple weeks away. Mm-hmm. Exciting times. Uh, Cape Epic is happening next week, or I think it kicks off this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, a mountain bike race that I never have any desire to do. You? The Cape Epic? Yeah. Mm. I'll do one stage of it and then party. Really? <laughs> Got it, yeah. <laughs> I have zero desire to do that race. Yeah. It looks terrible. It kind of does, yeah. Like, like it's fire roads and it's long and... It's fire roads. That's why we like epic rides. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're better, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and then the Pro XCTs kick off this weekend. I'm actually heading down there for those. For those. Mm, I'm going to race them. It's going to be fun. Yeah, Benelli. Uh, not my favorite course, uh, but just the same. 
it's racing mountain bikes. It'll be fun. Yeah. And then after that, Vale Lake in Temecula. I've never raced that one. I've only raced Fontana, uh, being the other round. I've raced Benelli and Fontana, but I heard Temecula is beautiful this time of year. <laughs> A lot of bro dozers, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see. Um, yeah. And then I guess that more or less covers it for the news. The news. Yeah. Yeah. You want to move into questions? We shall. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. First question is from Zach. He says, I'm looking forward to purchase, or I'm looking to purchase a cyclocross bike for road, cyclocross, and gravel. I have a few questions. First, the price range is up to about $2,000. Second, most cyclocross bikes come with a one-by drivetrain, and is that okay for road as well, or should I look for a two-by? Do you have any specific recommendations? Uh, should I go new or used? Thanks for the great podcast. So let's cover one-by and two-by first. Yeah, so my... Gravel cyclocross road bike is all set up for all of that. I have different wheels for it, but you know, for the road versus when I'm off road. But uh, I do one by, and I definitely notice its limitations in the one by mode. Mm. If I leave the wide range on, sometimes the steps between each gear are way too big for you know a certain grade that I'm on. Yeah. So I'm spinning out in one gear and I'm torquing too hard in the next gear. Mm. Um, so that kind of changes things, but a lot of bikes you can't really interchange without having two sets of cranks. That's yeah. one cool thing about Cannondale that I like about their Super X, their Cad X, is that the cranks right out of the box are one by and two by compatible. I think one by is totally adequate for road unless you're racing road. True. In my mind. Yeah. Like uh, I can think of like I've done uh, on your E13 TRS race cassette that you had on your Super X. Yeah. I went and did a couple road or a road ride with that on with Sophia. Yeah. Um, you've done road rides on that setup before. Mm-hmm. I've done um, centuries on it. You done yeah exactly yeah. and it and it's fine right yes. it's fine yeah like do you notice the gap in between the gears on certain like I said there are certain elevations where I have to shift my cadence which luckily I can do yeah whereas if I'm in say fourth gear on a climb and I'm just lugging along at 75 cadence, but I go into up to third gear and I'm like 97 cadence. It's a little yeah. bit much to sustain on long sustained climbs. So, but then you just, like yeah, you, you said, just, you, just you just adjust, adjust. you just and adjust if you're not racing. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. that's totally, that's yeah. absolutely fair. I, I kind of like the simplicity that you get from a one by two. True. And I just, I, I, I don't like front derailleur shifting. It's true. always like a gamble, whether things are going to go awry or not. It seems like with, very true. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's but at if, least how I feel. But if you do a one by plan on having some sort of chain keeping system, some sort of chain guide, um, yeah. cause road and uh, not a lot of the derailers have any of the clutch mechanisms yes. um, and they're usually not as good anyway. Yeah. Like the, I see with, uh, I guess with SRAM stuff, you get a clutch in almost every case with a low, with a cheaper build. Yeah. But with Shimano, you don't get a clutch, which usually a Shimano build is going to be two by anyway. Yeah. Um, but you absolutely want to have one with like a robust clutch. Yeah. Um, the, the bike that I would look at is the specialized Crux E5. That's mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. Um, it's just over your budget at 2,200 bucks being brand new. Um, but it's got, a it's got a clutch derailleur. Uh, it's, I believe it's got the... Uh, it might be the force one buyer. No, it's like a, Apex it's probably apex one, one by, by whatever which it is. is still good. And it still has a clutch system. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. And you can get that set up and th- that's a really cheap bike. And, uh, those bikes ride really well and they've yeah. got some cool colors to them. Yeah. And that's I would one. still throw out the Cannondale thing. You know, I would say that the cat X or the super X would be a really good, um, really good option for you. Um, it's a really good geometry that works well for cyclocross, but it's also super capable in gravel. Um, I know they just came out with the top stone, but 
um, I still think the Super X is a better bike. Um, I haven't ridden the aluminum Super X. So the Cat X, yeah. Or the Cat X. Yeah. Um, but what I can say is that Cannondale, I like Cannondale's cross bikes better than specialized cross bikes. When I've ridden, I've ridden both of them. Yeah. They're higher end carbon ones and their higher end carbon bike. It's by far and away better. I don't know if that translates to aluminum, but it's by far and away a better bike in my yeah. opinion. And I, and really it is, um, I think the Cat X is a better bike. It's designed with, you know, mm-hmm. the same, you know, uh, CAD technology. That's why it's a Cat yeah. X. Um, it's just a little bit more robust than a CAD 12. You know, it's made for being off-road, a little bit bigger tire clearance. Cool. Um, but with that said, the Cat X can only clear up to like a 38C tire, whereas the Super X will go 42. Yeah. So if you do want a bigger tire or if you want to go 650B road, the Super X would be the way to go. Um, and honestly, you can get them down in the – I mean – I guess you can get them down to the $3,000 price range. That's so a little bit much. Little high. So, yeah. yeah. So probably Cat X. Yeah. So Cat X. Uh, let's go into Jordan's question. He says, Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks for the awesome podcast you put out. I've been listening since Brian Kennedy was on and I can say I learned something helpful every episode. Good to hear. Uh, and you can leave reviews by the way, uh, five star reviews. If you feel like we don't deserve that five star review, just let us know uh, what we can do to change. But five star reviews on iTunes. It's awesome. He says, I was wondering what kind of input you ha- you both had on a cheap, and he says under a cough, road bike or gravel bike <laughs> for casual commuting and how cheap I should go without it being dangerous or complete or a complete waste of money. He says, I'm trying to stay sub $1,000. Thanks in advance, guys. Um, so uh, that's easy. We have one thing I wanted to add. The reason that I threw this in is because in most cases, if somebody's looking for like a, they're not looking for a road road bike, mm-hmm. I do recommend that they get something like a gravel bike or a cross bike. True. Unless you're going to be doing some sort of racing. There's yeah. really no point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I'm going to throw it out there um, again with the Cannondale. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing this on purpose, guys. Of course. Um, the Synapse Disc Sora level, it MSRPs at 1100 You can find it for 1000 or less. That bike, it's going to clear 34C tires. It's, it's going to, you know, it, it, it's a perfectly capable road bike. It's going to be soft, supple, very stable. Um, and you can take it adventuring like off-road Gently, you're not going to use it as a full gravel bike, but it is definitely capable off pavement. Yeah, I it's tough to beat those. Um, when you get into specialized, they have the Diverge, and the Diverge gets down to I think around 1400. Um, I believe is the cheap one. That's their gravel bike. I should move it over here. I was just making funny faces. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they actually get down to 1100. Uh, so right around there and the Diverge is a good bike, has a good amount of compliance. That's what I would recommend. And always look for year old stuff at your local shop and any brand. Cause they're going to totally. save you money no matter what. So, and then Jordan signs off as saying, thank, by the way, Jonathan, thanks for putting up Jordan Moyes on your IG story. He's great. That's, um, M O Y E S Jordan. And he's a, he's a musician and podcast listener. So fellow awesome person, like all of you that are listening or tuning in live on Instagram live right now. Um, okay. This next one and lots of people like that, that, uh, Oh, salsa journeyman is another recommendation from somebody. Yes. Yeah, salsa makes a bunch of bikes that, and the cool part about they a salsa do. is you can attach, yeah. you can basically attach the kitchen sink to that bike. You really can. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of things that you can yeah. throw on. Even with a half horse, uh, garbage disposal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. And then somebody also says, uh, your face is ridiculous. Steven love Neil. So I think we know who that Neil huh. is. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Neil. Hi. 
All right. Uh, let's go on to rusty parts. He says, Hey guys, new to the podcast. I love the content. I'm a 50 plus guy recently retired from riding moto looking to fill the adrenaline rush. I came across E mountain bikes and I love enduro type terrain in moto. We use our legs to grip the bike riding mountain bikes on downhill descents, leaving my seat raised halfway. I try to grip the seat, but it's so narrow. There's nothing to grip any suggestions on an enduro style seat or wide rear wing section, or maybe I'm going about this all wrong. The yeah. latter. You're yeah. going about this all wrong. Don't grip your saddle ever, ever. Yeah. You want to be free from the saddle. If you're dirt jumping, it's a different thing. Yes. Um, and you'll even notice on like downhill, a lot of guys, they don't have their saddle as low as it can go. Mm -hmm. They have their saddle at a point where it does make contact with their knees. Yes. Right at the knee or just above. Yeah. 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 So it's not like they're, um, how do you say this? Like, so in motocross, you you control the bike with your legs. Yes. Your arms are there, but you, you control that bike with your legs. And on a mountain bike, that's simply not the case. You control the bike through your feet. Um, and through your hands. Yeah, some. of course. Yeah, but mostly. Feet. And if you're on flats or you're clipped in, it's the same when I say you control it through your feet. Yep. You can influence it for sure with your legs. In other words, like you can just apply pressure on one side, but you're not trying to control the bike by gripping with your legs. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, if you're doing suicide, no handers, then yes, uh, you need to grip the bike with your legs. Yeah. And that's why you'll see seats that are up a little bit more. Um, but no, uh, you're probably just riding it wrong. Uh, look, uh, look up Lee McCormick and he is awesome. Lee likes bikes and he will completely change your, your whole approach to how you ride a mountain bike and it will be incredible and it'll start to feel amazing like a dirt bike does. So. Yeah. Uh, Matt's question. He says, I've spent the last three years working to break the nine hour mark at Leadville. I've been using a training plan this year and we'll be using trainer road for my coaching. And he says, and use or for his coaching. And I think he also says the workout creator. So chances are he's using a coach and then using the workout creator to make those. Okay. Uh, says last year's training build, I felt buried me in workload volume all the way up to the race day. Since trainer road leaves this up to me to decide if I am going to do well or not with fatigue, which I'm a type a answer. So the answer is always more is better. I've employed the use of HRV of the HRV or um, employed the use of HRV, which is heart rate variability. If people don't know, mm -hmm. and he's using the aura ring, which is like a little ring that goes on there that uses an optical heart rate sensor to try to figure that out. Okay. Says, I think this will be a good gauge. How do you suggest I use this tool? Have you guys used this feedback before? And do you have any thoughts? And how should I tailor the trainer road workout schedule if the HRV information uh, directs me in one way or the other? Uh, thanks. Love the podcast. And uh, yeah, he says much appreciated. So my, before you get into the real answer, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my method of breaking the nine hour mark at Leadville would be to get a KTM 450. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's good. I like that. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, HRV is something that is misunderstood by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, it's a and it's just like heart rate, the same exact things that that pertain to heart rate that make heart rate kind of like a a problematic metric. Same thing applies to HRV. Sugar intake, caffeine intake, somewhat like those won't change it quite as much, but it's super individual and okay. it's variable okay. and it will change day to day. Okay. So in this case, basically uh, what heart rate variability does, and this is, and other people could probably explain it better than I could, but this is my understanding of it. Basically what heart rate variability does is it measures the time between the beats of your heart. And when it can measure that time between the beats of your heart, uh, that should be not, or that shouldn't be consistent. And in a healthy person, it won't be consistent. It'll vary. In other words, you'll, the time between beats will change. And you can actually do this right now. If you just sit down and you, you know, put like your know, finger on your neck or on your wrist or whatever else to measure your heart rate. <clears throat> and then if you breathe in, 
really deeply and then breathe out really deeply, you'll feel your heart rate change mm -hmm. in, in all throughout that process yeah. while you stay completely still. So uh, that's just shows the fact that your heart rate does vary. Now, what heart rate variability is doing is something slightly different. We're going to go a bit deep here. Basically, you have two things or two classifications of influence. Uh, you have sympathetic and parasympathetic influence that could go on to your cardiovascular system. So uh, in this case, let me think about this. Uh, if you are going to, man, I'm probably going to get this backwards of the sympathetic and parasympathetic. It's always tricky. Yeah, I hate um, when that happens. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that uh, basically when you train or put your body under stress, I believe that what you are doing is applying a sympathetic response. Steve's doing a Google right now to make I'm sure. trying. However, once you rest, you're actually countering that with parasympathetic. I'm almost positive. So uh, the point is you have to do, you have to balance those out. And when you have too much stress, it's going to push things in one direction. When you have not enough, or I should say when you're plenty recovered, it's, you're not going to have anything influencing it from that direction. So basically, once again, think of your heart rate or the time between beats. Think of it being as like a, a something that can move. If you're training a ton, it's going to have so much, I believe, parasympathetic response that it's going to move it in one direction and kind of keep it handicapped and stuck there. So you're going to have less variability. And then if you have less variability, then that will show that you are probably too fatigued. This is maybe too deep for people, but what we're getting at here is it's a different way to try to measure fatigue on the body. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there are a bunch of different devices that use basically you just need a heart rate monitor to do, to do that. But the fact is one day it will say 97. The other day it will say 120. Uh, the next day it will say something else. Now a low HRV score is showing that there is less variability in your heart rate. I'm almost positive. So that is bad. But a, a, a healthy range of fluctuation is to be expected and good. Mm -hmm. It's just when it drops below the normal range, that's when it would be bad. So that's when you would make a sort of adjustment. When you see that, that's when you would say, okay, too much. I'm going to you know, take a, a day off where I'm going to just do an easy day, or I'm going to take off one set of intervals, something like that. So that's usually how you would want to use it. Um, but really it's trend analysis and it takes a long time. I've, I've been using whoop to track that, uh, W H O O P or whoop, however you want to say it. And there it is. The, <laughs> that was good, Steve. That was a good, stupid. good dad joke. Um, but, uh, I've been using it for three months now mm -hmm. and I just now feel like it's starting to get a hold of me and kind of figure me out. Got it. So it takes a long time. Yeah. And also if you have an inconsistent lifestyle, then the data is going to be inconsistent and that's going to be really tough to read between the lines. So unless you have a really consistent lifestyle, it's going to be really tough to actually utilize that data effectively. And you are still going to have days where you have a red herring, like one night. Cause basically the way that whoop does it is instead of measuring your HRV during, um, any point throughout the day, it measures your HRV during your deepest points of sleep. Got it. Cause it's trying to get the most, the least amount of variables. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that my strap, uh, which I'll show on the Instagram live stream, it's like right there. I think that strap moved when I was sleeping and I think, and it got a bad reading. Got it. So then like the next day it was like, don't train, don't do anything. You know, <laughs> I was like, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. But I actually felt fine. Yeah. So there are a lot of ways to use this. And some people might say, what's the difference between this and resting heart rate? Uh, your resting heart rate is going to be prone to even more variables. And it, and while whoop, for example, measures resting heart rate and takes that into account to give you a, uh, an arbit somewhat arbitrary recovery score, mm -hmm. 
it's still, uh, it's just prone to more error than HRV, I guess. Got it. Um, so it, it's, but it's getting at the same thing as trying to use heart rate to figure something out, which will always, always, always be rife with uh, trouble, potential trouble. So gotcha. keep a big grain of salt handy. Yes. Hopefully that helps. Is that adequate, Steve? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Nick says, Hey guys, just found about the, found out about this podcast and have been ripping through episodes on trainer rides in snowy Vermont. My question is, what are your guys thoughts on XCO racers? Those are, that's cross country Olympic doing road rides on their mountain bike versus a road bike. And he's talking about doing intervals, uh, just base miles, doing motor pacing, all that stuff. And this doesn't just apply to cross country dudes. This applies to enduro guys, everything else. Yeah. He says, before I signed with bear, Ooh, He's under Dev. Dev. Yeah. So this, uh, Nick, congratulations. That's a very prestigious team to sign with. Uh, Nick's fast. Mm -hmm. In other words, that's what that means. No, I'm not riding with him. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> Kidding, Nick. He says, uh, before I signed with Bear, it was not something I ever considered, but going on race trips, uh, that was the only time we consider it. He says, it seems like some, that's something that everyone's doing. Is there something to this, or is it just the pro thing to do? So the reason that pros do it when they're traveling is because that's the only bike they have with them. Exactly. Uh, if they have multiple bikes in... Some just train on a mountain bike, but most of them train on a road bike uh, or something like that because it allows them to get further to places they can travel at a faster rate of speed, less rolling resistance, so they can get to the spot that they want to train. Yeah. Whereas if you're on a on a your mountain bike, you're in your position that you're normally in, so you're dealing with the exact same muscle extension, same mm -hmm. you know everything is the same as you would be riding. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a reason why the UCI guys, when they're warming up, they're sitting on their rollers with their knobby tires yep. on their mountain bikes, just making all kinds of racket because that's the bike they're going to race. That's the bike they're in. Yeah. So I, I think that, in, and if you are a mountain biker that has a road bike that isn't set up to be as close as possible to your road or to your mountain bike setup, yeah. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Uh, you should be have a bike that's set up very much like that. It may not be the ideal road fit, but it should align with what your mountain bike is. Yeah, that's how my Super X is set up exactly like I set up my scalpels. Mm -hmm. Or as close as I can get it, should I say. Right. Yeah. Uh, next one is for from Sir Sendalot. <laughs> ah, I yes. wonder if he sends. <laughs> I'm sure he does. He yeah. says, sorry, this is a long one. Man, this is not a long one. You should see some of the long ones. Yeah. Yours <laughs> so, made it, so it's yeah. not that long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> says, I've heard you guys mention several times how people generally ride more travel than they need on their bikes. In other words, get it like a 160 bike and all they do is just ride, you know, yeah. uh, easier trails, right? Says, I'm planning on getting a new bike this season. And he mentions an Enduro Elite or Stump Jumper Expert on a shop employee deal. I'd like to get your thoughts on where to draw the line on go for the shorter or longer travel bike. Below is my current season to give you an idea of my riding style. I'm not crazy competitive, but just like having a good time being able to make it up and then shred down. So he mentions that he'll be doing four midweek Enduros throughout the year, a two-day three-stage uh, two race in Monticello, Utah, Deer Valley and Snow Basin Lift. So that means riding bike park stuff, mm -hmm. plenty of gnarly stuff there. Yeah. Uh, and possibly the Park City Enduro. He says he's also planning on upping his jumping game, which at the moment is non-existent. So uh, where would you draw the line, Steve, on going between an Enduro and a trail bike? Where do you feel like if a person does X, they should just get that Enduro bike instead of the trail bike? If a person goes to bike parks, you mm. don't want to be on a 130 or less bike. Yeah. It just severely limits you. I don't care how slack the head tube angle is. You know, look at a stump jumper. Um you're just going to be way under gun. So do you want to have fun there and suffer when you are climbing? 
or do you want to be better at climbing and suffer on park days? Like that's where I would draw the line. Yeah. And I feel like you could probably get away with like the stumpy in a bike park and it would be fine for the majority of people on how they ride a bike park. Fair. But like you said, they will run up against limitations. Yes. Yeah, and you better be capable on that short travel bike. Yes. You better be able to handle it. Otherwise you will get in over your head quickly. Yeah. So it's not that the short travel bike can't go in a bike park because they totally can. You can yeah. ride your fully rigid bike if you want on the bike park. Yeah. It's just going to be tougher. You're going to need more skill and you'll have to go slower. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I would say a vote for the short travel bike is because when you are at a bike park, you just ride a lift up. Yeah. But then in every other ride that you're doing, you're going to have to pedal up. Yeah. So you'd want to bike the pedal as well. Mm -hmm. um, and the stump jumper is one that I feel like is an example of a bike that bleeds into the longer travel uh, category a of bit course. in this yeah. case. Because like even the top EWS guys, they rode the stump jumper more than the Enduro last year. Of course. Yeah. So granted it, you know, they, they legged up the fork a bit and that sort yeah. of thing. but. Um, yeah, I think that that's a good, good line to draw. If yeah. you spend a significant amount of time in bike parks, just get a big bike. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he says, PS, if you know of any must race, he says in quotes, Enduros in or around Utah, I'm all years. Uh, I don't know, man. He should do, <laughs> he should do the point to point. That's what he should do. <laughs> it's a great Enduro. Yeah. It's a great yeah, Enduro. Yeah, yeah. Show it's up what, with 70 some mile Enduro, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> it's not an Enduro. Yeah. Um, don't do that. Uh, it's a great race. I mean, though. do that, but yeah, don't yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt says, Hey guys, new listener to the podcast, but I'm hooked. I've recently reignited my love of mountain biking after an ill-advised foray into road cycling. Yeah. We're glad you made it out alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still there right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. just raced a crit this weekend. So it says, my question is what in your opinion is the better upgrade to my 2017 Fox float factory 34 fork mm -hmm. rolls right off the tongue. Eh? There you go. Uh, he says, number one, simply upgrade an Evol air shaft upgrade to an Evol air shaft. Okay. Uh, what is that, Steve? That's the extra volume negative chamber. It's a larger negative chamber. So you basically get more initial plushness out of the fork, the new Evol system. Okay. So, uh, install an MRP ramp control cartridge. That's just a new, um, uh, air spring assembly on, yeah. uh, for the, the Fox made by MRP. And it basically allows you to dial in that, uh, initial plushness and support and the progressivity, ramp rate, yeah. yes. the ramp rate. Yeah. Yes. Like you said, absolutely. Um, uh, you can't have these two things. So you either get to pick the MRP ramp control cartridge or the next one that he's asking about the Vorsprung Luftkappa. I love that. Yes. I, I would, let's finish his question. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. <clears throat> and then he says, uh, or a new fork entirely. No, not, a, <laughs> not, don't do that. That's silly. Okay. It's a waste of money. Uh, so he says, I'm a decently light rider in both weight at 150 pounds and style and find that my hands and wrists get pretty beat up after a long day riding leading me to believe that small bump compliance on my current fork can be improved. Yes, absolutely. A 34s in 2017 were notorious for that. Small bump compliance was terrible. So, yes. Says my fork is set at factory recommended settings right now, and I can honestly say I've never truly used the full 120 millimeters yeah. of travel. That's probably your first part is that you're at factory settings and you've never played with it. So... Okay. Yeah. So he says, any advice is much appreciated. So being lighter, here's what I think you should do. I think you should get an Evol air shaft and the Luftkopf assembly. Mm -hmm. That is what you should do. That is going to give you the most initial plushness and the, um, the most chatter absorbing, you know, small bump compliance all the way through. It's going to get you further into your travel as well. Okay. And it's going to change the ramp rate at the end. That's where I think you need to be is uh, that's what I would do. Personally. What about an Evol air shaft and the ramp control? You can't do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do both. If I was doing that, I would just do the ramp control if that was the case. Okay. Got so, it. Cool. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, then you're already tuning 
that entire air shaft assembly. So it's like pointless to go to the evil, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Totally makes yeah. sense. Uh, Art's question. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. I just registered for my first Epic Rides event, the 30 mile Grand Junction off road. We'll see you there. Uh, you will. Oh, you're not going now? I can't go. It's my birthday. I'm so sorry. They're throwing a party for me. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Steve. That's fine. I'll get over it. <laughs> I'm going to turn this way. Oh, man. <laughs> we'll fly you there because we're going to drive together. We'll just fly you there now. I want to drive. Okay, you can drive. I want to drive. Okay. So I'll go. I'll just, I'll just yeah, it'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be fine, Jonathan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's, a tri- it's a trip with my wife. That's fine. Okay. Okay. She's a nice lady. I'll, yeah, I'll allow it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He says, I'm looking for tire recommendations. I thought I heard in a previous episode that you guys were considering this event. Yes, we were. <laughs> I am still. <laughs> he says, what would you run? Thanks for sharing all your knowledge and keep up the good work. You know, I've actually never ridden Grand Junction, so I really don't know what to recommend. Um, that's something that I was going to have to talk to Todd at Epic Rides about or somebody. I've talked to Noah Sears at well, MRP. There you, there you go. Mm, what is Noah this very Sears? thing. He says that you kind of want a gnarlier tire mm-hmm. than you might think. Okay. Uh, he says just because it's pretty easy to get pinch flats, pretty easy to slice casings, that sort of okay. stuff. There's a lot of big rock okay. there. So he said that using the Aspen worries him and yeah. he's used the Aspen and he said he just slices it a lot. Okay. The reason for that, he says is because there's so much casing that's showing just exposed that, that casing. Makes contact yep. where there isn't a knob. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> if he did something like the recon race, okay. that actually gives you more, um, that there are more knobs there. So you're going to have your tire is going to have basically effectively a thicker material or thicker contact patch. That's yeah. So then things can puncture less yeah. easily. Um, another one he's talked about is the ardent race, uh, okay. that he likes, uh, there. He, I believe runs a DHF up front and then I want to say a recon or recon race in the rear. I was thinking like just a light EXO casing DHF Griffin rear Ooh. or even a Griffin front with a recon race rear. Oh yeah. That's that kind be, of what I was thinking. Could be a good setup. And I, I would even do Griffin Griffin. Those things are fast for how knobby they are. Yeah. And do they, uh, do they have like a lot of knobs and not a lot of casing that touches? Yep. Lots of, uh, lots of knobs, good cornering blocks and also EXO casing. And it's a heavier EXO casing than your ardent race, your recon race and the Aspen. Mm. So if you did the Aspen EXO, it's yeah. actually a thicker casing than all of those. So yeah, I, I, I think that's a good choice. So really the principle that you want to adhere to is the fact that you want to have a tire that has a good puncture resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Try to pair rolling resistance with puncture resistance, but yep. err on the side of puncture. Okay. Uh, Michael or Mikkel, I'm not sure how you'd say it. Um, he says in a recent podcast, the topic of spraying on ceramic coatings was discussed as an easy way to reduce time spent on cleaning and maintenance. The product you described was something that could be just liberally sprayed onto all surfaces of the bike during a wash. This sounds too good to be true. I really want to look into this and what brands do you recommend? Okay. So the spray on is Sonex S O N A X. Um, it's called spray and seal and you literally wash your bike. It's all clean, soaking wet, and you just mist it on all over the bike. Make sure you get the bike extremely clean. Yes, extremely clean first. Um, Once it's wet, you spray it on lightly. Let it sit for like 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. Not in the sun. Don't do it in the sun. And also not in windy or cold conditions. Exactly. Just make sure you're in like a garage or something like that or somewhere where there's not wind, not direct sunlight, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after it sits for the 90 seconds, then you just rinse it off and dry your bike. Yep. And you'll notice that it'll have a nice hydrophobic barrier that will make things way easier to clean forever. Well, six to nine months. You have to re- reapply it, it helps every so often. Yeah. 
Uh, another thing that I thought of, which is not a ceramic coating at all, mm-hmm. but it's another magic spray. Yeah. It's a very good one. You don't want to get it on your tires and you don't want to get it on your brake pads or rotors. Okay. Uh, but, uh, it's Maxima SC one. Yeah. The SC one works really good. You learned that from your moto days, right? Oh yeah. 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 Uh, basically I used to halfway wash my dirt bike when I was a kid and then I would just use an entire can of SC one and my dad would be like, wow, it's really clean. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was an expensive yeah, yeah. wash job. Yeah. 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 It smells amazing too. They even have air fresheners for it of the scent because it smells so good. Oh dang. Um, but yeah, I just did that on my road bike actually for a muddy or like a, a rainy day race mm-hmm. that I had. And my bike is just like pristine. Like I basically just like bounced my bike on the ground and anything that was like road grime just like fell off basically. Excellent. So, um, it's a good barrier that you can use. Nice. Okay. Uh, next one, Jesse says, and I don't know if I know, I don't know the answer to this one. I don't know if you do, we can think through it logically and somebody might correct us later on. Um, so Jesse says, okay, guys settle this once and for all. When you disconnect a shock pump, do you lose air from the shock from the hose or both? Is the pressure lost when you connect back up to the shock, not when you disconnect? Thumbs up on the podcast as usual. This is a great question. So the answer to this whole thing is yes, <laughs> with an asterisk. <laughs> okay. Because it depends on your shock pump. Mm. If you have, like, Topeak has one that you thread the Schrader valve on, and then there's an inner core that you thread in, and it opens the valve. Ooh. So you do lose a little bit of volume from the shock as that connects, no matter what. So that's because you're, you're actually increasing the effective volume of the shock because you're introducing the hose length. So now your air can has to give up some of its volume because of the volume in the hose. Give up some of that air. Yeah. So it gives up some of the air. So effectively increases the volume of the whole system. So depending on how much air you have in your shock, whether it's like the tiny little scalpel shock or a big giant float X2 is going to be two to five pounds of difference on a float X2. You might not even notice the difference at all. Okay. Um, so you do lose a little bit there when disconnecting that same system where you can actually close the press, uh, the actual Schrader valve core before removing it, you don't lose anything, but on a standard, like Fox's digital Fox's analog, the rock shocks, um, mm-hmm. most of the normal shock pumps, you do lose a tiny bit of air and depending on how fast you remove it, could be two to five PSI. I've seen it be a little bit more, um, yeah. especially the higher volume you get or the higher pressure you get, yeah. it'll release a little bit more as you disconnect the hose as well. Is it fair to say that you would lose more air when you, not with a Topeak pump, but with a normal pump, normal shock pump. Is it fair to say that you would lose more air when you attach the, when you install the, the thread on the shock pump? Then when you take it off, it no. seems like you would lose more. Well, no, because you're just going to fill that hose up and you're you're going to lose the same amount every single time. Right. But I guess but, from losing it from the shock itself, aren't you losing more when you connect it than when you disconnect? Well, it depends if you bobble and you leave it semi open for a second yeah. while it's, you know, squirting air out as you're removing it, you could potentially lose more. Yeah. That's. But if you don't bobble, you're probably going to lose more when you put it on. True. Yes. We need somebody to do science on this. I did a lot of this, actually. I would do a lot of disconnect, reconnect, disconnect, reconnect, seeing how much volume was lost. We need somebody to do like a, like a, a, a peer-reviewed study published on PubMed. Stat. Ah. Okay. Yeah, it's not okay with me. I, I always question my pressure. No joke. When yeah. I'm riding, I'm going down the hill and I'm wondering, is that really 165? Mm. Or is it 163 and a half? Exactly right. We need to know. <laughs> uh, Josh <laughs> says, hey, guys, very important fashion police question here. 
we're here for the important things, right, we are. Steve? Yep. Uh, this is the last one. He says, what is your take? And then we'll answer some questions if there are any from folks that have submitted them live. Uh, he says, what is your take on the XC World Cup guys wearing Aero Road helmets like the Pock Ventral, Octal Aero, or the S-Works Evade during not only short track, but also the XCO races? Is this an acceptable form of cranial protection for a, or, or a giant fashion faux pas? Can us mere mortals use our aero road helmets on the trails as well as for our races? Would love to hear your authoritative position on this critical issue. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It is jo very critical. I say, Josh, you do you, boo-boo, but I'm <laughs> not wearing a road aero helmet on any mountain bike ride. I think that we can change that. I think within not too long, Steve will actually end up wearing one. I, I could see it. Now, I do wear – okay. Well, I'll give you this. I do wear a very aerodynamic road helmet when I'm doing gravel stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I uh, – yeah, they're totally fine. Totally fine for XC. Yeah. Um, once again, if Lycra, no visor, then there's no rules. Just don't wear a TT helmet. Then that gets a little weird. Yeah. Uh, if your helmet has a shield, I'd say that that's a faux pas. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just think of Harry in uh, in Dumb and Dumber when he like walks into the lodge with like yes. the full on race yeah. helmet. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, it's it's totally legit. Um, the fact is, so there are two things at play here. Um, helmets are three things. Helmets protect you. They ventilate from a very important position, and then they also pass through air, and they're a leading edge. And they uh, can, they're also are, are a big part of your frontal area in a lot of cases. So that's a lot of drag. Uh, in my mind, uh, so typically they say the aerodynamics start to have a more profound and measurable effect at around 13 miles an hour. I always thought it was 13 to 14. Yeah. yeah. Um, some people say that it's as low as like 10 or 11 miles an hour. So who knows? Um, but uh, at that point, that's where you start to see like a, a profound change. So at that point, your helmet is either making you faster or slower. Mm -hmm. So what do you want? Uh, which one do you want? I and, would say go faster. Yeah. And most of them are all tested to the same standards anyway, whether it's a road helmet or a mountain bike helmet. So it's the same level of protection. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only <clears throat> downside to some aero helmets is that they don't vent well. True. The aero road helmets, I should say. And if they're not venting well enough for you, go faster. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, the downside of that is the fact that if you are, so your body uses like 75% of its energy roughly to shed heat when yes. it's under, you know, performance on the bike. Mm -hmm. So if you're capping that, no pun intended, that heat in on your head, uh, where you're actually venting a ton of heat from your body, that's not good. Um, and increased in, and increases in core temperature have profound effects on performance potential. Yeah. So, uh, you want to find a helmet that's a narrow helmet that still vents well. So you'll see like a lot of guys on hot days, they'll still use a normal, more vented helmet. Um, I use the ventral, the POC ventral and that thing vents incredibly well. Well, it's in the name. It better vent well. Yeah. 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 Ventral. Ventral. Vent. Yeah. yeah. Ventral. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, tries to pull air over your head rather than just giving you a bunch of stuff to, to vent out the top. Yeah. And I actually switched to white helmets for that reason. I noticed that. I used to do black helmets because they looked cooler, and I went to a white helmet once, and I'm like, I'm doing light helmets forever now. Yeah. it's. I think that uh, in some cases, like with fabrics, they have coatings that are like uh, UV reflective, so the heat doesn't absorb and retain and stay within the fibers of the fabric. Yeah. But with helmets, I don't think they have that. No. So uh, it's a different deal. Totally. Um, so yeah, I actually switched that. I'll probably end up using a black helmet at times this year too. Um, but I have white helmets for my XC stuff usually. So. And I have bright yellow. So yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Same thing. All right. Uh, with that, Steven, shall we do the tips? 
I lied. We're not going to do the tips yet. We're yet. Exactly right. We'll get to them. First, we're going to answer some live questions. And I wish that Instagram had a better way to view all of these con- comments because there are a ton of them. Okay. Somebody says, what races are you looking forward to most this year? What about race that you're doing, Steve, that you um, look forward to most? I'm actually looking forward to the only races that I'm really thinking I'm going to do are the two epic rides, the Grand Junction off-road and the Carson off-road. Nice. And I'm looking forward to both of them because yeah. at this point, Carson got pushed back two weeks and we're still it's wondering- perfect. We'll, we'll be fine. Are we going to be fine? Yeah, I will okay. be fine. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, um, it got pushed back two weeks and that was awesome. And now I think it's going to reside at the end of June forever, which yeah. means it's just going to be better for us. True. Meaning that we won't have to deal with unless, the snow. Unless we have a really, really hot spring and no oh, snow, yeah. and then it's going to be brutal well, going know. up Kings Canyon. At it's least it's early goes. in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what about race that you're not doing that you're looking forward to most, whether it's, uh, attending, watching anything like that? This one, I don't know if we're going to or not. This is, you guys had asked me if I would crew for you guys on Leadville, if Nate decides to actually do it. He might. Because I've always wanted to go. Okay. But I've never wanted to race it. So it'll be cool to experience it from that side of it. Cool. So I can actually get the Leadville feel, see all the people, do all the things, but not actually have to race Leadville. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. 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 Good. Nice. Are you going to, I'm doing, race I'm looking forward to most is obviously national championships in Colorado for a cross country. Can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other race honorable mention is EWS North Star. Oh yeah, are you going to come to that? I might. Yeah, it'd be fun I to have you race it. I should. Well, yeah. no, it's already closed. Maybe Whatever. we can. We, we can, know people. <laughs> we can pull some strings. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one uh, says Trek is making a lot of noise about some new stuff that they're going to be announcing soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. They say it's going to change cycling forever. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so you do know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know of the things. And the stuff that yeah. they're talking about. So somebody says Trek's putting Kevlar in something soon. Thoughts? Um, I have no clue if it's Kevlar, but from what I gather, things are going to be more safe. I'll just leave it at that because I don't think that I'm supposed to say anything. Trek hasn't contacted me. It's just rumor to rumor to rumor. So is it one of those airbag things that they like talk about <laughs> prototypes for motorcycle people when they get hit by a car? It like puts Not them that, in a giant bubble. No, this person's closer with talking about materials for frames or for clothing. It's not on the bike. Oh, okay. So, right. um, let's see some, a lot of people saying they've missed the podcast. Thanks guys. Uh, we're sorry. It's just, uh, we do it as we can. Um, okay. Somebody says I'm planning on taking my first mountain bike inspired trip next year. I'm thinking Sedona bike fest or Whistler or Revelstoke. Any thoughts? Thanks. If you see this, if not a uh, one star, Oh man, you good sh- thing we saw it. Wow. You yeah. should do your first, second and third next year. And you okay. should do Sedona, Whistler and Revelstoke. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> Um, I really want to go to Revelstoke. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. I was up there this winter. Oh, that's right. And, uh, in that region ish. And there was a lot of talk about how great it is for mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really tough to beat Whistler though. True. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good input. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> just true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, any thoughts on the I nine Hydra hubs? We didn't cover that in the news. So yeah. So I, I actually got my. Enduro 305 wheels with the the torch system uh, right before they released this, and they didn't know that I would want to be a part of... <laughs> Silly them. Silly guys. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually sending mine back, and they're rebuilding the rear with um, a Hydra hub, so I'll have more info on it for you later. Um, I like the idea of it. The, the way that it's going to work is as one Paul catches, your axle deflects slightly, causing the whole free hub to deflect and then two more paws will engage. 
Are you serious? Yeah. Whoa. So that's how it works. So technically only one is engaging at a time. And as that one catches, then it just rotates a little bit and it locks everything else in, which is cool because that's an, they're taking natural physics. That's what happens. Okay. You have that natural torque on that. And so what ends up creating, you know, bearing wear, they're using it to their advantage. And okay. so it's actually pretty cool. It's a cool idea and how it works. Huh. And I think it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah. So stay tuned. Why stem the tide? If you can just guide it or yeah, harness it. Exactly. They're making a dam basically. Sure. Yeah, okay. Somebody brings up a good point. They say when reading Lee likes bikes and Brian Lope's book, when they have differing opinions on technique, what do you listen to? Don't listen to Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't really have much to add to that. Wait, one. that was live. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Uh, he says specifically the steep descent theory of light hands or Brian says you simply can't do that in Laguna, but Lee lives by it. No, I totally think, uh, Lee's you can do light hands always. And if you want evidence of that, look at Aaron Gwynn. You still end up slamming in on your hands. Of course. But look at Aaron Gwynn, how he is always riding 100% of the time through his feet. Yes. I think that's a misunderstanding probably between the two of them, but because Brian probably rides it correctly. He just doesn't, uh, he probably isn't articulating it in the same way. Um, okay. And, oh, people are just really liking that HRV discussed, uh, discussion there. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they are not. That's the truth. <laughs> trying to tune it um, out. <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to tune it out. All right, cool. I think that we're just going to cut it at that, and we're going to go into the tips. Sound good? I'm good with that. You don't care? They're counting on your tips to live? All right, tips time. Uh, Steve, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, so everybody knows I'm a Mavic fanboy, and I love my Mavic shoes. They just fit my feet well. They're super awesome. Um, I got a set of the new D-Max Pro Flat shoes to try with the new Cannondale Habit. I decided to get a set of HT flat pedals um, and just see what flats were all about. I don't like those shoes. What they, don't you like about them? The rubber is not grippy. The rubber is very hard. It's a very high durometer rubber. So while they'll, they'll wear long and last long, I find myself constantly like sliding forward on the pedals as I'm trying to even just like push a little bit of a manual out, I slide off the pedals. Mm. Um, so because we should update, you're trying flats. I'm just trying flats on this bike just You've to see what it's flats all about. Before, but yeah. you're just going back to it. Yeah, going and after ten years of not for kicks. Um, yeah, for kicks. So I'm not a fan of those shoes right now. I'm going to keep riding them and see, but I also want to try. You know, I've had five tens in the past, um, even riding my five ten guide tennies, which are just an approach shoe for climbing. Um, even riding with those on is better than the Mavics right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try, um, Afton shoes and I'm going to try ride concepts, hopefully cool over this spring and see if there's anything, you know, if they're better. Um, but yeah, so I'm just kind of disappointed in those hmm. so far. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a, a negative tip. That's a yeah. first for us, I think. Yeah, well, I think yeah. that we did that with uh, Ardent. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've done that one, too. <laughs> we always do that as a negative yeah, tip. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I, I, one thing, too, Afton Shoes, uh, listener of the podcast, I believe Wade Sitaway, uh, a oh, friend yeah. of mine. Yeah. I believe Wade runs Afton's. Okay. And, I be, and he's spoken highly. He's uh, on Instagram. Is he Wade MS? Wade? Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. the guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good guy. So, um, okay. Uh, tip that I, a very practical tip that, uh, is pretty darn cheap, hopefully. 
two things that you should bring to races that you many times forget, or perhaps you don't know that you should have number one, a beach towel, number two wipes. So the reason for the wipes is obviously just to clean up after your race, get the dirt off your face, get it off your legs, that sort of stuff. But also mm -hmm. use those wipes in other, in the nether regions and get yourself clean when you get out of your chamois, uh, chamois time is not training time. Whoever says that's absolutely silly. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to get out of your chamois as soon as possible. Yes. So, and then it's nice to have wipes to make sure that you can not only be clean there, but just clean everywhere. So you don't go into like a Chipotle afterwards and you look like you've just been digging through sewage or something. <laughs> um, then the other side of it too, is getting, uh, having a beach towel there. Part of that is to dry off if you need to dry off for some reason, but also a beach towel is awesome for changing. Mm -hmm. So you can change at your car without, you know, showing everybody your pasty white butt. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice censorship there, Steve. Yeah, I saw being... the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Took a minute, but I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so I think it's a simple thing that people forget, and I feel like it's a really helpful thing. Uh, so always remember beach towel and wipes. And the reason I say beach towel instead of normal towel is because you want a longer, bigger towel to be able to use that for. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, if, uh, if you joined us live on Instagram Live, thank you. Uh, this is our first time doing that. And, uh, this is man, the first time in a long time doing the podcast. I know, uh, we have one episode that is recorded that I still haven't edited that I need to put up mm -hmm. and I plan to do that this week. Mm -hmm. And then this one will go up shortly thereafter. We'll probably give you two in one week. Yeah. Um, so you can have that, that one's going to have some outdated stuff and I'll probably end up clipping uh, portions some of news it. things, whatever. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and, but that's basically it. Uh, Steve, do you have anything else to, to add in before we talk about we, worldwide we won't talk to you guys for a few weeks i'll be gone oh yeah yeah steve's i gotta Steve. go to work yep yeah i took two months off of work and skied and played with my dogs um <laughs> but i actually have to go to the oroville dam in california and do a bunch of inspection work so i'm gonna be gone for like five to seven weeks back on the weekends but weekends are family time for jonathan so we yeah. might not get to recording anything we yeah, might. I might, I might end up recording. I think I'm going to record one, I think with Derek Teal, he's going to be in Perfect. Reno. Okay, good. So okay. we're going to record an episode there. I might end up recording some sort of a solo episode or something else like that too. Okay. If we can on a week when you're here if or on I'm, a weekend yeah. it, when you're here and yeah. I'm here and we have time, we're going to jump in and record too. Which is good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the plan. So, um, anyways, thanks guys for joining us. We appreciate it. And remember if you need parts, you go to worldwidecyclery.com or forgive me, go to mtbpodcast.com, go to the store, click on the worldwide cyclery banner. Mm -hmm. Uh, those folks are awesome for all things pike parts. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's basically it, Steve. Have nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.